And welcome in, everybody, to episode 80 of the Sports Gospel Show here on SportsGospel.com, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're finding our show. Happy to have you back with us for the 80th edition of the show. Andrew, back with us on this one. And there is so much to try to talk about this week. If you don't love sports in October or, I guess, early November now, I don't know what to tell you. We have a little bit of everything from... Women's soccer, the Portland Thorns winning that to a Jake Paul fight to NBA trade deadlines to the World Series to early season chaos in the NBA, which is going to be Andrew's specialty here. Just so much to get to. And we we try to stick within an hour, an hour and a half. And but we're going to start right here with the the big news. And that is the NFL, as it kind of always is this time of year, but specifically free agency not free agency, trade deadline coming down today uh, as we're recording this. And I think there's about six six marquee deals here that we want to kind of talk about here within the last 24 hours as we're recording. And Andrew, one that uh, very germane for your fandom in two different aspects, but TJ Hawkinson in a rare interdivision trade. I feel like we almost never see teams wanting to help their arch enemies get better. But the Detroit Lions sending TJ Hawkinson to the Vikings for a second round pick. And I think there are some other pieces involved here, but those were the main components. The Lions, not surprisingly, clearly punting on another season there, the bottom of the NFC right now, and will very likely be drafting in the top four. Now TJ Hawkinson gets to go to a very good contending Vikings team. Uh, I said before the year, really expect this Vikings team to contend as long as Kirk Cousins can do well. And now he gets another weapon to add to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. So, Mr. NFC North, the Lions get worse and the Vikings get better, and one of those pieces is not good news for your Packers. That is correct, and they also got a third-round pick as well. I, I feel like uh, the Vikings completely stole this trade, kind of fleeced the Lions a little bit. I felt like they should have gotten more back for a guy that they picked in the top ten. Um, but also his contract was up after next year was probably going to demand more money. So that's why this trade went down and you're right. And it's, you know, I said this to Vikings fans and put this out all over the internet. It is super bowl or bust for the Vikings now. And anything beyond that would be considered a major disappointment in my eyes after this trade. And Detroit, are we just, Admitting we're in the CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, maybe Will Levis lottery at this point in time. Yeah, that's 100% where they are. Another reason why the Hawkinson trade maybe doesn't make sense to me because they were kind of in that lottery without making this trade. Now they're really in it. Um, And I felt like they kind of had the running backs, the receivers, the tight ends, and maybe were a quarterback away. Uh, Maybe a CJ Stroud or Bryce Young pans out right steps in right immediately and is instantly better than Jared Goff, which again, that's not a high bar, but um, maybe feeling like Detroit's maybe a quarterback away from something pretty good on offense. And now that kind of, that kind of changes a little bit. And I think we talked about this beginning of the year. We were both pretty high in the lines as at least a, a team flirting with 500. I've been a Jared Goff defender and I thought he would be decent DeAndre Swift is a nice little piece. Jamal Williams having a good year. Amon Ross St. Brown there is, a, I think, going to be a future number one. Still waiting to see what Jameson Williams has if he ever gets in. Uh, the rookie out of Alabama. Decent offensive line. Some players on that off uh, defensive line with Aiden Hutchinson maybe being the future there. And 
just, I, I don't know if it's a coaching thing or the Lions, probably a whole franchise culture thing that they're never quite get, getting over the hump. But I really thought this was year that maybe the Lions show a little bit of life and thought they would at least be better than uh, teams like the Panthers or Falcons. More Talk more about the, those teams later, but crazy to say, but I think you have to be a little disappointed in the Lions this year. I am uh, definitely disappointed. I think I vastly underestimated how bad their defense is <laughs> outside of Hutchinson. I mean, it's just, it's brutal. I was watching a little bit of the lions game on NFL red zone. And some of the guys that they were calling out on the lions defense, I was like, who, who is this guy? <laughs> like I, I haven't heard of any of these guys other than like Aiden Hutchinson and Jeff Okuda. And I'm not saying that Jeff Okuda is good, but I, I've at least heard of him. Uh, but everybody else, it was like, I, I have no clue who any of these guys are, and that's not a good sign. So they're they're one of the worst defenses in the NFL, probably the worst defense in the NFL. And, well, that's not going to cut it. So I'm definitely disappointed. They're giving up 32 points per game, which is the most by a considerable margin. Everybody else is kind of bunched together, except for your real top-end teams like your Buffalo and Dallas and Philly. And then, yeah. I I wanted to see Dan Campbell do well. I thought he took way more heat than he deserves, but he may be a two and done in Detroit. Unfortunately, yes, but I don't think it's on him so much as this front, the front office. I, I really hope they give him next year. Maybe it's next year and done, but we'll see. And uh, moving on here to another trade, one that I don't think is quite as impactful, but I think is interesting. And that's the Bears getting Chase Claypool from the Steelers. Uh, basically for a second round pick two teams who aren't going anywhere anytime soon. I've been a huge chase Claypool fan. I thought he was a, a sneaky pick for them. I think he was a second or third rounder out of Notre Dame had a great rookie year and then just kind of trailed off and can maybe blame that on the quarterback play of Pittsburgh, but hasn't been the same study was when he first came into the league, George Pickens maybe made him disposable there and he slides into Chicago and in a team who needs weapons, but more or less feels like a move for the future. And basically a swap because he was a mid-round guy and you're giving up a second for him. So I, I kind of get it there where that seems to be balanced and makes sense. But two two teams that are going to be drafting in the top 10, trading a weapon. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, the Bears were planning on probably spending that second-round pick on a wide receiver or some kind of an offensive weapon for – Justin Fields anyways, and that's how they can justify sending the second-round pick for Chase Claypool, who, as you mentioned, I believe he was actually a fourth-rounder. I could be wrong. Check me on that. But uh, I believe he was actually a fourth-round pick for Pittsburgh. But you're right. Rookie season, really great. And then the quarterback play tailed off, and he'll probably have the best quarterback play since his first season in the league now with Justin Fields because – I do think Fields has shown a, a little bit of signs of life over the past couple couple of weeks. It didn't look good early on this year, but I think as the season's gone on, he's shown a little bit of life. And at least now you have a couple of NFL starting NFL wide receivers with Mooney and Claypool. I think the rest of the room needs work, and there's still more work to do, but you at least have some semblance of a receiving threat now. And the Bears have been kind of the wheeling dealing team here at the trade deadline, picking up Claypool, but getting rid of their veterans, uh, Robert Quinn going to the Eagles a few days ago. And then the big move, Roquan Smith 
going over to the Ravens. So they uh, Chicago traded Roquan Smith to Baltimore for a second round pick. Uh, Chicago had to give up a lot of picks to move up and get Mr. Justin Fields, who you mentioned is starting to show some signs of life and they're recouping, getting back some of that draft capital. Uh, so we'll just kind of move right into that, specifically looking at Roquan Smith. But if you want to touch on the the Robert Quinn and or Roquan Smith trades. Well, I think it kind of goes hands in, hand in hand, right? Because the, that Robert Quinn trade and then promptly that Roquan Smith trade, which kind of hit me out of, I, I knew that there was some tension there with the contract situation in the off season, but I don't know if I really expected it to go down like that. And I felt like, again, a little bit of an undersell by the bears there with Roquan Smith. I felt like they could have gotten more, but because of the contract situation, they probably didn't get more. That's why. And that really signaled, Hey, we're all in on the future. The future is Justin Fields. And the Quinn move followed by the Smith move just said, yeah, we're, we're done with this year. Like we, we have no chance at this year. We know it. We're going for that top 10. We're going to see where our pick shakes out now by the end of the year, but we're going for that top 10. And like you said, recoup picks that they lost because of the Justin Fields deal. Um, And uh, Roquan Smith, a, a great move for him getting to go to a contender. Baltimore looks fantastic. Uh, seen this from them before where the second half of the season maybe isn't as kind as the first half, but they, they may be really going to make a move. And if you're a linebacker, I mean, Roquan Smith, Baltimore Raven, just one of those moves that makes sense. You think fearsome, hard-hitting, tackling machine linebackers. That's that's the place to do it. But Yeah, and also, yeah, the Eagles getting a pass rusher and Robert Quinn, who's still got a little bit left in the tank for sure, and fills a need for them. So. Uh, get, follow this uh, Pepe Silvia with me. San Francisco traded a first-round pick to Miami. Miami traded a first-round pick to Denver. Denver traded a first round pick to Seattle. So the 49ers helped the Seahawks in some roundabout way. I, yeah, in, property? A round, in, a, in a roundabout way. Yeah. Yep. They did. <laughs> All so that, that yeah, reverse engineering, the Russell Wilson trade. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and speaking of those Bengals, Bengals, who did I want to talk about? Broncos, Broncos, Bengals, uh, Broncos trading away Bradley Chubb uh, uh, for a first rounder. I think the only big first round draft pick involved. And Bradley Chubb has been a nice piece for the Broncos. I don't think he ever became a Miles Garrett or a Bosa brother level edge rusher that he was expected to be, but a nice piece. And he got shipped off. Uh, what do we make of the Bradley Chubb? More of a curiosity for the Broncos of maybe... Maybe they know something we don't, but if they're in win-now mode, the defense has been great. You go all in to get Russell Wilson, but then you trade away one of your star defenders. Kind of an interesting move by the Broncos here. Like, But again, unless they know something we don't about Bradley Chubb. Right, yeah. Well, I think um, there was some contract stuff going down between Bradley Chubb and the Broncos, too, where maybe Chubb wasn't happy with his contract situation and wanted more money. Um but also maybe the Broncos feel like they're not all in anymore, which is kind of interesting because you went and got Russell Wilson, which to me signals, Hey, we're all in on this season, but now you're trading away Chubb from a defense that is now going to lack pass rushers. 
to a contending team in the Miami Dolphins. Just interesting move. I thought maybe, you know, we were going to see a couple Broncos moves then. Were we going to see maybe them moving on from Jerry Judy, other players offensively, like Cortland Sutton, too? I, I don't know. It's just a little interesting that they chose to make a deal for Bradley Chubb. Maybe, maybe they liked what they were getting back from Miami that first. And also they got Chase Edmonds, another running back post Javante Williams injury, which right. can we talk about the, the bingo there with uh, the dolphins trading Chase Edmonds and then subsequently trading for Jeff Wilson. Well, and that's they signed, they signed yeah. most dirt. And I know Mike McDaniel, their coach, has a connection to San Francisco and worked with both Moster and Jeff Wilson. And so it's like they're just getting the running back band together back in in Miami, I guess. It's kind of what I figured is he's just rebuilding the 49ers in Miami with Moster and Wilson. And they're kind of the same backfields where there's... Kyle Shanahan's become notorious for doing this of never having the same running back year over year. He has a whole stable of guys and like the last six years, his leading rushers have been a different guy. And Wilson and Mostert have been two of those guys. Well, not anymore, right? Because it it didn't happen right at the deadline, or maybe we're getting to it in a second. But the the Niners made a big splash, obviously, trading for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, and he could very quickly become their leading rusher. I'm trying to see where we're at. So... He has, I know his stats are carrying over from his time in Carolina, but CMC has 525 yards on the season. Uh, Jeff Wilson had 468. I'm trying to see where the next like San Francisco running back is. It probably, it's probably Debo. Probably. Um, I'm not sure what Elijah Mitchell did before he got injured, but maybe. Uh, And then. Two more quick ones here I want to get to while I'm looking up stats on, uh, let's see, yards. Wow. Here's here's a fun trivia game for you. So Jeff Wilson had 468 yards rushing for the Niners, and they just traded him away. So their leading rusher is Debo with 138 yards. In two games, Christian McCaffrey has 132 yards for them. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Trey Lance had 67, Elijah Mitchell had 41, and then it drops way down from there. So uh, by the first drive of next week's game, Christian McCaffrey will be the Niners' leading rusher. Yeah, probably. Um, But I don't know if you saw this weekend, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but uh, Christian McCaffrey did the football equivalent of hitting for the cycle, ran for a touchdown, uh, caught a touchdown, and threw a touchdown, I believe had three touchdowns and did it in three different ways. So new quarterback controversy in San Francisco, Christian McCaffrey versus Jimmy G. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because before the game, I did some digging into this Kyle Shanahan. There was something about at like practice about how Kyle Shanahan had inquired with like his coaches about the strength of Christian McCaffrey's arm. And they found out that he threw a touchdown pass in college back in 2018. And so Shanahan basically put a play in the playbook this week for Christian McCaffrey to throw, and then he completed it. And it was a long touchdown pass, too. It wasn't one of those short 15-yard touchdown passes that we see in the red zone sometimes. It was a 40-yard bomb. Like This was not a short throw. This was a 40-yard bomb from Christian McCaffrey's arm to Brandon Ayuk, 
who was wide open. But it with a football pedigree, doesn't Christian McCaffrey strike you as a guy? Maybe this is just me as one of those players who can just kind of do whatever. He just happens to be best as a running back. Like, oh, yeah, he can catch. He can throw. He can run. He could probably play safety if you needed him to. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. It's just running back is his best position. That's why he is what he is. Now, I'm not saying the Trey Lance pick was a bad one, but the Niners have had four quarterbacks play this year, and Christian McCaffrey is second in passing touchdowns right now. Well, that's that's why there's a quarterback controversy now, because CMC is definitely better than Jimmy G. Jury's still out on Trey Lance, but and they we got, know that he's better than Jimmy G. Don't forget they got Brock Purdy there. So Brock Purdy and Trey Lance combined for zero touchdowns and two interceptions on the season. Is that the new meaning of Brocktober? He comes in and throws interceptions late in the game? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and then two two last picks here. Uh, the Chiefs getting Kadarius Tony for a third round pick, which I never understood the Kadarius Tony pick. What draft was this? Was this twenty twenty that he got drafted in the first round by the Giants? And I think you're going to slowly see Brian Dable starting to turn over this team and the very poor decisions that were made before he got there. We've already seen him do it on the field. That was twenty twenty one draft. They took Kadarius Tony twentieth overall, and he's kind of already flamed out. But you go to the Chiefs, and now because it's the Chiefs, I feel like he's going to put up crazy numbers as like their number four wide receiver. And then the Jaguars trading for a suspended Calvin Ridley. Is there something here that I'm not understanding? I I know we all like to make fun of the Jaguars for making weird wide receiver moves this last offseason, but now they're adding a guy who, while very talented, won't play until next year at the earliest. Right. Two and curious wide receiver deals. Yeah. Curious. Um I think it's more for the Chiefs for the Tony deal, just a flyer because he did flash a lot of potential out out of college. He hasn't lived up to any of it, Kadarius Tony. But if there's any team that can unlock it, it's probably the Chiefs. This is kind of a last stop for Kadarius Tony. Really, it's, you either get right in the Chiefs' offense, or you're you're really not going to make it in the NFL long-term. So not a lot of investment from the Chiefs either, giving up a third-round pick, essentially, for someone who has some potential that they could maybe unlock. Not saying that he'll be a superstar or anything, but could he be a quality starting wide receiver in that Chiefs organization? Possibly. There's, There's at least a world where that outcome exists. Calvin Ridley who, yeah, curious, he hasn't been playing football in the past year and won't until next season. But when he does and he's fully invested, he's a legit wide receiver one. Again, low investment by the Jaguars, giving up a conditional sixth and a conditional seventh, I believe. Both those picks could go up around, potentially. Depends on what happens with Calvin Ridley. Uh, But... I think also it's kind of a, you know, next year they're expected to have Calvin Ridley, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk. They've got Scherf on that offensive line. They've got Travis Etienne. The question then becomes, is Trevor Lawrence a quality starter in the NFL? I think that's a fair question to ask after next season because 
he'll have the weapons for us to know, can this guy get it done? There won't be any excuses anymore. He gets a pass for that urban year that was just a complete mess. But this year, Trevor Lawrence hasn't been particularly good this year. He hasn't been out downright bad, but feels like he should be further along than what he is now. Uh Starting with the Calvin Ridley, because I think he comes in there and he becomes the number one. But let's remember the Jags signed Christian Kirk to a four-year, $72 million deal. So you're going to pay, let's see, what would his deal be as a potential out after two years? But he's making 22-5 this year and then 16-5, 16-5, 16-5. So you're paying $72 million to your number two wide receiver? Who's, yeah. who's not, I mean, as good as Christian Kirk is, but it's not like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. No, it's not. It's the, it's the Dollar Tree version of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's the Dollar Tree version of, of Tyree Kill and, and Jalen Waddle, right? But it's better than what they've had in the past and certainly will be the best weapons of Trevor Lawrence's career, I guess is my point. They're giving Trevor Lawrence a chance by making this move and Calvin Ridley potentially being available and ready to play. I don't know what will happen with Calvin Ridley. There's a chance, you know, he's a little bit of an enigma could just decide that he's done with football, right? There was talks about that. That could just happen but they didn't give up enough to where it matters if that's what he decides. They're taking a risk. They're swinging for a home run and they will either strike out or hit it big. And I think that in that respect, it's kind of a good move because you're taking, you're kind of making this low risk, high reward proposition. And I think that's a good move for the Jags long-term. I have a Kadarius Tony related trivia question for you. Let's hear it. So he was the fifth pass catcher drafted in the 2021 draft class. He is currently 14th in that draft class in receiving yards and has zero career touchdowns. That's, that's not the trivia part. That's just a fact part. Uh, can you name the top five receiving yard leaders from this draft class? It is a very loaded receiver and tight end class. Five guys uh-huh. have gone over a thousand yards so far in their careers. Chase Pitts. Okay. Jamar Chase is one. He's the leader with 2,000 yards. Kyle Pitts is fourth. Kyle Pitts is fourth. Um, Kyle Pitts only has three touchdowns, which feels weird to me. feels like he should have way oh, more. Oh, man. Why am, I, why am I blinking on the other guys in this draft? Two, two I think you'll get, and I think the other one's a little bit of like, oh, yeah. Um, shoot. I am, I am totally blinking on this draft. Um. Give me a, give me a minute here. I'm trying to think who went high in that Jamar Chase draft as well. So there were really, four, really four of these guys were top ten picks. You already got Chase and Pitts, and then the other guy was uh should have been drafted way higher than he was. I don't know why he fell. Oh, was that Jefferson? Uh, I think that was the year before. That was a year or two before. Yeah, that's 2020. Is Jefferson, um, Devonta Smith? There you go. He was number ten. Yeah, third in yards. 
Devonta Smith, Waddle. There you go. Jalen Waddle, the two Alabama guys are second and third. There it is. And, oh, man. So then the oh, yeah guy wasn't drafted first round probably, right? He was drafted much later. Much later. Late round wide receiver, second year. Let's call him middle round. I don't. I don't know where what you consider middle and late, but I'd call him a middle round guy. Okay, um, middle round wide receiver, second year, who's doing a little bit better than expected. Nico Collins, incorrect, but he is eighth on the list. Okay, that's uh, interesting. Um. This guy was drafted after Nico Collins, though, if that puts it in perspective. He was it also does. drafted after Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, and Josh Palmer. Wow. Nope, you're going to have to give this one to me, unfortunately. He plays in your beloved NFC North. Oh, dang. I'm on Ross St. Brown. There you go. As to why he fell to the fourth round pick 112, I do not know. I remember watching him in college thinking, wow, this guy's really good. And then he fell to the Lions, and he currently has 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns, only trailing Chase and Waddle in the touchdown category. Wow, yeah. I looked this up the other day. I think it was the 2019 USC football team. They had Drake London, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Michael Pittman Jr., and went eight and five. Yeah, and lost the Holiday Bowl. (laughs) Like, how do you have that much talent in college? Because we make a big deal out of, uh, was it the Ole Miss team that had A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, and they were terrible? Yeah. Um, yeah, they had him, and then they also had, um, I think Ingram was the tight end on that team. I could be wrong. I think Evan Ingram was on that team, maybe. I know he went to Ole Miss, but I'm not sure if he was on the team at the same time. Oh, no, they had um, – didn't Elijah Moore go to Ole Miss? Uh, so it was the 2019 draft. What do we have for Ole Miss players? They have some guys I've never – they had Dawson Knox was on that team with DK and A.J. Brown. Got Elijah it. Can I ever remember Elijah Moore and Elijah Mitchell? Elijah Mitchell was a running back for Louisiana because I, I know this because I watched entirely too much Sunbelt football <laughs> Who in the past couple of years. Um, so I learned about Elijah Mitchell. But anyways, I think the point stands is how did that team, you know, that 2019 USC team, because they had Keaton Slovis as their quarterback too, who was right. a decent college quarterback yeah. as well. And a lot of people thought Keaton Slovis was going to be the next big thing. And I sure did. Yeah, it hasn't quite panned out still, that way. I still way. haven't given up hope. Still, still waiting. I still. think he'll get drafted. It may not be a first round, but we can we can move on. They also had Elijah Vera Tucker on the offensive line. Yeah, again, a lot of Elijah Moore did go. He was a couple years younger than those guys, but he did go to Ole Miss at the same time. I think those two guys were two years older. Yeah. Also, you know, filed this away on a team that underachieved Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Leonard Fournette, and Jamarcus Russell somehow won only eight or nine games, I believe, their senior year or their junior year. 
I feel like sure you, I feel like you meant a quarterback who's not Jamarcus Russell, but I think you're right on the rest of it. Oh yeah, might be might be uh, Mettenberger. Is that him? I don't know. Maybe I maybe I did mean a different quarterback, yeah. but Wait. I am right on the rest of it. Well, like LSU is wide receiver university, weirdly, for some reason. Like Justin Jefferson came out of there, Jalen, or uh, not Jalen, Jamar Chase. Yeah. Andrew uh, Odell. It's that LSU team and then that Bama team the year after that are pretty much considered two of the best offenses that college football has ever seen. Right? Because you had, you had uh, Jefferson Chase and Terrace Marshall on the receiving core, but then also uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the backfield, and obviously Joe Burrow at quarterback. But then Alabama had Tua and Waddle and Devonta Smith and Najee Harris. It's crazy. In the same year. Well, hang and on. that was an insane offense to defend in college as well. Well, who was – did Alabama have – did they have Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith? Yep. Jalen Waddle and like an who was it? Was it Jamie? Did Jamison Williams transfer from Ohio State to Alabama? Somebody did that. Was that Jamison Williams? Yeah, that was Jamison Williams, but he was uh at Alabama last year. I think that was his first year at Alabama and his last year in college. Hmm. I don't know if he was on that Ruggs, um Smith, Waddle, Judy. Right, because Alabama had all four of those guys at the same time, plus Najee Harris, plus Tua, plus Mac Jones. You mean on the same re- roster? Soon to be replaced by Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones? I don't know, because he uh, Zappi came in on that Monday night game against the Bears, looked good, and then they got run off the field by the Bears, and they went back to Mac Jones this week and won. So now I don't know if Mac Jones is going to get pulled. It's because Bill Belichick owns the New York Jets. Apparently. Apparently. Uh, so to to put a bow on this very long side tangent we went on, the 2014 NFL draft, LSU had you had Odell Breckham, Jarvis Landry, Alfred Blue as a running back, had a nice little career, and then Zach Mettenberger was the QB for that class. And you had Trey Turner, who's been a decent offensive line, all came out of that draft class. Yeah, absolutely loaded squad. That uh, somehow was never contended for a national championship. Right. And uh, going to take a look at the playoff race here. I think we've kind of figured out the contenders and pretenders here in the NFL. Start over in the AFC. The Bills, I think, clearly the number one team. And there's a team here. We do this to them every year, and they started out really ugly. The Tennessee Titans are technically the number two seed right now. Playoff started today. They would be the number two over the Chiefs. I feel like the general fan base consensus, you listen to all the pundits, name the best teams in the NFL, Chiefs, Eagles, Bills. Nobody talks about the Titans. We never do, but they're hanging in there at five and two. They're crushing it, even without Ryan Tannehill playing this week. And they get the Texans this week. So they'd be right in, uh, just had the Texans, sorry. But Bills one, Titans two, Chiefs three, Ravens four. I feel pretty good about the four of them. As I mentioned earlier, the Ravens are hanging in there. The bottom half is where it gets dicey. You have the Jets, who just got the pants beaten off of them by the Patriots. No more Brees Hall for the rest of the year. I'd be very nervous about the Jets. They you know, had a great first half of the season. Congratulations, you showed some life. But I can't feel all that confident now. You know, 
Miami, who's the real team. And then you have the Chargers currently in the seven spot uh, with they were on a bias. So they're at four and three. You get down to that next crop. I think are still alive. Patriots, Bengals, Colts, Broncos, Browns, Raiders. I don't know what to make of that. I think the only teams you really count out are the Texans, Steelers, and Jaguars. Maybe the Raiders after they just got obliterated this week. But of the teams in, do you, do you agree with me? Feel good about the top four? Questions on the bottom three, or am I putting too much faith in one of those top four? I feel good about those top four, but I, I actually feel good about the top five because I would throw Miami in at five. I I think uh, Miami will be that fifth team. They just happen to be in Buffalo's division. Definitely after the Bradley Chubb deal, I feel even better about Miami and their offense is just so explosive. I think they're definitely going to be that five seed. So I feel good about the top five. And like you said, Jets are in fifth spot right now. You mentioned no Brees Hall, but I really think that Zach Wilson looks really shaky too. And so what do you do? Are you going to go back to Jack Flacco? Are you going to ride it out with Wilson? Probably ride it out with Wilson, but that doesn't give me a great amount of confidence. I I think the Chargers will make the playoffs that's really more just a vote of confidence in Justin Herbert than anything else. I'm really just believing in Herbert by saying that the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. And then, yeah, you're right. It's a whole mess of teams from there because it's like, I, I really think the Jets, the Patriots, the Bengals, the Colts, maybe the Browns are going to be fighting it out for that last spot. I'm kind of crossing off everybody below that. I'm out on the Broncos. I'm out on the Raiders. I saw the way the Raiders played this weekend and and I'm just, I'm out on what they've got going on. So I think it's really maybe four or five teams for that last spot, essentially yeah, in the AFC. I, I'm kind of with you on the Dolphins. I, I do feel like they've gotten better. I've defended Tua for so long. I don't think that... I don't think there's any way they get over the bills, but in that wild card spot, I think the Titans are safe just by virtue of the South is terrible. We've seen what the Colts are bringing to the table and it's not much. The Texans are going to have the first overall pick and Jacksonville's still in the rebuilding. So they're in from the South. I think those two are locked in the chiefs. You just, you can't trust the chargers. Do I think the chargers could get hot and take a run at Kansas city? Yes. But the chargers could also go four and 13 because they're the chargers and the most unpredictable team, most mercurial team in the NFL. So I think you've got your got those three division winners. I feel good about the Ravens and Bengals. I think could get very interesting here in the North. So if I had to change this right now, I think I would drop the Jets out and slide the Bengals in there. I I put so much hype behind the Broncos and I've defended them for months. I can't pull the plug on them yet until we really see what's going on there. So I think they'd be the last team battling there. You're kind of between. I would say probably the Chargers, Bengals, and Broncos for that final spot. So I think it is an eight-team race. Sorry, Jets, you're going to have to slide out of here. But it it feels like the the Bills conference lose. I took so long to really come around on them because I hate going with that team. Like last year, nobody really picked the Bengals to be the team. Everybody was big on basically the Chiefs and the Bills once again. But I just I can't see anybody in the AFC who's looked better than the Bills. Yeah, there really hasn't been anybody who's looked better than the Bills. They, they've they got it firing on all cylinders right now. Now, quarterback controversy in Tennessee? Question mark? I don't think so. I don't think so. 
because I, I don't feel like their offense really gains or loses much depending on who the quarterback is. So you might as well go with the experienced guy, and that's Tannehill. I don't really think Malik Willis is a dynamic playmaker. That that really changes the outcome for the Tennessee Titans. They kind of are who they are, regardless of who their quarterback is this year, in my mind. Uh, I want to use this as a jumping off point to a question. The 2020 NFL draft, there were basically four starting quarterbacks taken in that class. You can tell me that your boy Jordan Love is eventually going to be a starter in this league. But you had Joe Burrow go number one, Tua go five, Herbert go six. Those three have, I think, proven themselves as starters. For sure, Herbert and Burrow, Tua, I think, is getting there. But the fourth quarterback who's really become a starter this year is Jalen Hurts. This is my transition to the NFC. But seeing what Jalen Hurts has done with Philadelphia, if you could draft over again, what order are you taking Herbert, Burrow, Tua, Hurts? Herbert, Burrow, Tua, Hurts. Hmm. Man, it's so easy to go in hindsight and say, based off recent evidence, Maybe I would want Jalen Hurts first. Wow. I mean, just the dynamic of having a mobile quarterback who can also throw. I mean, you see what Hurts looks like now with um, having legit NFL wide receivers to throw to. Having A.J. Brown, having Devontae Smith, Hurts looks almost unbeatable, right? Um, and he's got that rushing element to his game, too, that – Herbert can run a little bit. Burrow can run for a first down. Tua can run for a first down. But they're not the rusher that Jalen Hurts is. And he has figured out when to use his legs and when to stand in the pocket and make the throws. And because of that, you see the results with the Eagles being 7-0. and Right? Yeah. So I, I think in today's NFL, you've got to have a mobile quarterback. And it's such a – almost a cheat code to have someone like Hertz who can run like he can, but then also back it up with his arm and has the legit wide receivers to throw to. So if I had to go back in, in a vacuum, right, it's easy to say Hertz one, probably Herbert two. Again, I'm giving, um, I'm giving uh, that to Herbert purely based off the arm the combination of arm strength and, and accuracy, right? But then you've got Burrow, who the shine is off of Burrow a little bit in recent weeks, given the way that the Bengals have played in recent weeks, especially last night. That game last night was a, well, the Bengals were just never in it against a Browns team that I'm not sure is playoff worthy at this current point in time. I ooh, I might actually be tempted to go Tua and then Burrow. Wow. Based off what I've seen. Based off what I've seen. So Hertz, Herbert, Tua, Burrow. Again, you see what Tua can do when he's got weapons. He's got Waddle. He's got Hill. He's putting up crazy numbers, crazy passing numbers. And he has time to throw the ball. Tua is picking defenses apart with his arm this year. 
And you're right. Jalen Hurts has more rushing yards thus far than those other top three guys combined. Those other guys are mobile and two is coming off injury. So he hasn't run quite as much as he did in college, but Hurts very much the athlete. It makes me wonder, think about Cincinnati's offensive line woes. That's been one of the biggest things. And yes, you can talk about Joe Burrow holding on too long before throwing the ball. But if you have no offensive line, do you want that guy who can scramble and keep plays alive? Would Hurts be a better fit? given Cincinnati's lack of offensive line, even though they completely rebuilt the offensive line, they're still struggling this year. And I know this is a a lofty comparison, but you look at the 83 draft, that was Elway, Marino, Jim Kelly were the big three, and there were a couple other quarterbacks. I kind of feel like that, if I had to look at it, to me, Joe Burrow's the John Elway. That's your winner. That's your gamer. He's going to have a long career and may take some injuries, but he's going to keep the play alive. To me, Herbert's more the Dan Marino. He's going to put up bonkers numbers, but is he ever going to be the winner? To me, Jalen Hurts right now is kind of the Jim Kelly, and then I would uh, Ken O'Brien be kind of the fourth quarterback. For me, that's Tua, and I've been a huge Tua fan. Like Ken O'Brien had a nice long career, 25,000 yards, 128 touchdown passes back in the day when we didn't throw near quite as much. But I think I would still go Burrow 1, Herbert 2, Jalen Hurts 3, and Tua 4, but it it just makes me wonder how how these teams all pass on Jalen Hurts and what they didn't like, and or is, I, I get passing on him because you think the other quarterbacks are better, but to fall all the way to the fifty third overall pick, you're telling me that there wasn't a team before that who would have loved to have his talents. Looking back, yes, hindsight is twenty twenty, but to think that people passed fifty two times before thinking Jalen Hurts was worthy of a pick, and now you see what he can be, and I think he's proven to be a starter. He's not a fluke. Yeah, well. It was a little bit of, I think there were some questions about his arm, his arm strength coming out of college, his arm accuracy as well. People were really just boxing him in as kind of like what they did with Lamar Jackson, right? Like, oh, this this quarterback is just a runner. His best trade is his feet. We don't know if the arm's going to develop well enough for him to be successful in the NFL. And it's like, well, no, you can take a guy who's really good at running and probably teach him how to throw or tailor an offense to his skill set like the Ravens have done, like the Eagles have done, rather than trying to box him into this nice little box of what you think a quarterback should be, right? I think the Ravens and the Eagles, to their credit, have constructed their rosters in a way and their offenses in a way that tailors to their quarterback's skill sets. But pre, pre-draft, pre I think the knock on Hurts was, oh, he doesn't have the arm to get it done. And we saw that the first year of Jalen Hurts when he became the starter, right? His, his accuracy was not there. He had the strength. He wasn't placing the ball with any accuracy, but he got after it this offseason and also got A.J. Brown, so that really helped him. But he really, it looks like he has really worked on that accuracy piece of his game because that playoff game that the Eagles had against the Bucks, Hurts looked brutal. It looked looked awful. Um, looked like he couldn't move the ball, and people were questioning, well, maybe this isn't the guy, right? And now there's no question. He's the guy. Um, you know, he's the franchise guy for the Eagles now, but it's because of the work that he's put into get there so yeah i i guess i'm with you i don't understand why so many teams passed on him because it's not like 
Jalen Hurts, there were any questions about Jalen Hurts' work ethic out of college at all. So usually a guy with that much talent who's willing to work is going to get the most out of his talent, and you're seeing that with Hurts now. And we'll keep going on that. Mr. Hertz has the Eagles first place in the NFC in this nonsense NFC. AFC makes a little bit of sense. Bills, Titans, Chiefs, Ravens. All right. You know, we expect that. I don't know that anybody saw the Eagles being a playoff team, let alone first in the entire conference. The Vikings, we talked about right there at number two, a bit of a surprise. Not, I don't think all that surprising where it gets bananas is after that. Right now, Seattle would be the three at at five and three. I don't know how they're doing this offensive line. Charles Cross, maybe a, one of the best rookies did not see this coming from them with the Geno Smith project, rebuilding both sides of the offensive line. Uh, Kenneth Walker, rookie running back, really breaking out. Did not see this coming from Seattle. Atlanta is the four right now taking over that NFC South that nobody wants to win. The Cowboys would still be the wild card. Maybe the second or third best team in the conference, but they would be down at the five as a wild card team. The Giants, let's see what shape they're in after losing to Seattle. We keep waiting for this team to fall on its face, but maybe we have to accept that Brian Dable has turned things around here. And the Niners sneaking in, I think they're much better than their four and four. But that's your playoff right now. The Eagles one, Vikings two, Seattle three, Falcons four, Cowboys five, Giants six, Niners seven. And then the Commanders there at eight. And that's here's where you get your disappointing teams. The Rams at nine, Tampa 10, Green Bay 11, Arizona 12, Saints, Bears, Panthers, Lions. I don't think anybody expects much out of the four of them, but kind of four teams on the outside looking in right now. Are you more surprised by who's in or who's out? I'm more surprised by who's out. As you have the Rams at three and four, Buccaneers three and five, Packers three and five, and Cardinals three and five. Is it, is it hitting a little bit too close to home, Mr. Green Bay? Yeah, it's it's all hitting a little bit too close to home here. Um, but I, I really think, you know, the teams that we see here, in the playoff picture today in the NFC, probably there'll be a good amount of overhaul save for, I think probably there'll probably be three teams that are currently in the picture that will be out of the picture by the end of the season. And those three teams are Seattle, Atlanta, and the giants. I think all three of those teams are going to fall off Eventually, San Francisco is going to overcome and win the division. The Rams might find a way to sneak into the playoffs. I'm not sure. Don't have a whole lot of faith in the commanders either. But I think eventually Tampa is going to right the ship, pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. And Atlanta is going to realize at some point making the playoffs is a mistake we shouldn't do this, right? We don't have a legit chance at contending. What's the point in, in making the playoffs? We're just going to damage our pick, right? We need to, we need to fight for our draft position, not our, our playoff position. At some point that's going to kick in for Atlanta. And at some point, I think, I think giants are six and two, but it's kind of a deceiving six and two. There's been a lot of magic involved. Maybe, I'll regret saying this. Maybe the Giants are just a team of destiny, like we've seen them be in the past, right? But I don't know. I don't think so. And 
I I think eventually they'll they'll fall off the map, right? And that's going to open the door for teams like Tampa, the Rams, Green Bay, Cardinals. I think I'm kind of crossing them off based off of what I've seen on the Cardinals, and I think you can cross off the Lions, the Panthers, the Bears, the Saints. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I have the same three teams falling out. I think Atlanta, and I'll get to them in a minute. I think Tampa is eventually going to take over the Falcons. I just I can't bring myself to trust the Giants, and I think the Niners are going to take that West crown. They're I think they're going to be the the team of the second half to really make it up here and be a top. Maybe even get to that second spot. See how Minnesota does. I think your Packers are going to sneak into a wild card. And then somehow the Rams are going to fail into the playoffs. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I'd have those three in over the Giants, Falcons, and Seahawks. But Atlanta has the Chargers this week, so I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that one. But then they have Carolina, the Bears, Commanders, Steelers, and their bye week. To me, that sounds like a four and one potential record. If Atlanta's not careful, they're going to be eight and five come bye week. Yeah. I mean, that's that's entirely possible. And uh, Mr. Cliff Kingsbury, I do not believe, will be coaching in Arizona next year, at least in the professional team. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what the odds are on, on Kingsbury getting fired, but go ahead and make your bets now because I think that's a pretty safe one. I mean, I, I like Cliff Kingsbury. I just I think they've tried the experiment. I think Kyler Murray's ready for a new voice in that locker room, which gets me to a question. We played our quarterback game. For the 2020 class, the 2019 class gave us some some good backups. Your your Jarrett Stidham's, your Gardner Minshew's, your Drew Locks of the world, but really only two longtime starters, Kyler Murray and Danny Dimes. Seeing what you're getting out of Daniel Jones and the Giants this year, should he be their long term starter? And is is there a world where you'd rather have him than Kyler Murray, or is Kyler Murray still far and away the best quarterback in this draft class? Kyler Murray's still far and away the best quarterback in this draft class. Let's not kid ourselves with Daniel Jones, who's had a nice year. But is that a product of Daniel Jones' talent, or is it Brian Dable coming in and coaching an offense and getting the most out of his guys? I'm going with the latter there and saying that um, it's Dable more than it is Daniel Jones. And I don't think – and that's the reason why I'm picking the Giants to fall off, right? It's because it's my lack of faith in Daniel Jones as a long-term answer for the New York Giants. So I think it's been a little bit of a nice story, but this is kind of where it ends. I think Daniel Jones has been done okay, but not the long-term answer. They need an actual franchise quarterback. And they're another team that may be playing themselves out of the good quarterback part of the drafts. So got to see what maybe there's some veterans coming available. I don't have free agency in front of me to see who's coming up next year. But if you don't think he's your guy, you're the Giants. You're kind of out of the Stroud, Young, Levis range right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they definitely are out of that range. And that's why I'm kind of surprised. I mean, every team wants to win games, right? And it's never really a great thing in my eyes to intentionally lose games. But if there was a year to do it with this quarterback draft class and you feel like you're a quarterback away, which maybe the Giants are, 
well, maybe some receivers too. They might need some receiver help as well. So they could still be in range for that. Even if they aren't able to get a quarterback, they might be in a wide receiver range yet again. So, but yeah, that's, that's what I don't understand about the way Atlanta and Seattle and the giants are all going about their season. It feels like they don't have their long-term quarterback answers, even though they're getting by with it right now. Anything else on the NFL here? We're going to touch on college football here really quick, but I want to allow ample time for the NBA. Any other NFL news we need to get to? No, I think that's really it. We've covered it all. Uh, Just quick here on college football. We had the first playoff rankings and bit of a surprise. The Tennessee volunteer is getting the number one spot, which very exciting for the volunteer fans. A bit of a feel good story just for the sake of having a not Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State team at the top. Those Buckeyes are number two, Georgia three, and Clemson four right now. I think curious is the fact that they have Georgia at number three. Tennessee and Georgia do play this week. Uh, And you had Michigan at five, Bama six, TCU seven, Oregon eight, and USC nine. I think as we look at this, those are the nine teams in contention. You get down LSU, Ole Miss, UCLA, K-State. I don't see those teams in this. I think as we're sitting here today, we can already cut the playoff field down to nine teams. Uh, what really stands out to me is TCU being all the way down there at seven. So they're basically saying it's going to need to have a miracle. The Big 12 winner will basically have to go undefeated because you're already behind three SEC teams, two Big 10 teams, and they look at Clemson a lot higher than they look at you. So TCU and the Big 12, you're kind of on the outside looking in. Same for the Pac-12. Oregon or USC is going to have to win out and really impress along the way because you've got that. You could have this Georgia beat Tennessee. If Georgia beats Tennessee, Tennessee already beat Bama. One of them is likely going to play in the SEC title game. So the college football ranking is the big news from the collegiate game this week. What What are you saying out of the rankings? What I'm seeing is a committee that's setting up a scenario for three SEC teams in the playoff. By putting Tennessee over Ohio State, which I think should absolutely not be the case, um, they're really opening that door, right? So when Georgia inevitably beats Tennessee this weekend, you know, you can quote me on that. When Georgia inevitably beats Tennessee this weekend, and then Bama turns around and beats Georgia in the SEC championship, that will be the the playoff committee's justification for putting Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama in the championship along with Ohio State slash Michigan, whoever wins the Big Ten. Um, so there's your four teams. Congrats to the rest of you conferences on a great season, but we're really setting up for a three SEC team scenario. And that uh, to me is a nightmare, right? And not the way that it should be, but that's what I, that's what I think. So what we should be doing as everyday college football fans is cheering for TCU and Clemson to win out and crush everybody in their way. No, what we should be cheering for is uh, the Illinois power conference teams out with two undefeated champions. No, what we really need to throw complete chaos into the system is uh, 
the Illinois Fighting Illini winning out and winning the Big Ten Championship against Ohio State or Michigan. No, I want them to that, pick up another loss somewhere along the way, so then you have a two-loss Big Ten champion, and it's Illinois. No, I want one loss Illinois in the college football playoffs Ew. against three SEC teams. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's get weird. Let's get real weird. I wouldn't you. So we should be cheering for Tennessee, though, because Tennessee beats Georgia and Alabama. And if they beat Alabama twice, then we'd be. Then we would be free of this nightmare scenario that I just laid out. So go. You're you're cheering for Tennessee, TCU and Clemson football fans and ideally Michigan because nobody likes Ohio State. And ideally Illinois because nobody likes the Big Ten East. <laughs> and and sorry, Pac-12. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for showing up. You guys ruined your chance by letting Utah beat USC. <laughs> One more thing here. Heisman favorites. I, I've got my top five candidates, but if you've, if you've got anybody on your radar. Is it really just a hooker and Stroud race at this point? Okay, those may have been my top two. But for the sake of doing a top five, I did Blake Corum running back at Michigan. He's been the stud for them. He's the reason they're in this thing. They're quarterback by committee experiment. Yes, the defense is good, but Blake Corum's been a stud for them. Credit to Max Duggan. He's the reason TCU, he and Sonny Dykes as the coach, that that tandem has been great for them. He needs to get some credit, especially if they keep this hot streak. Caleb Williams quietly having a great year at USC, which should come as a surprise to nobody. But it it really is Hendon Hooker and C.J. Stroud right now. I do think the slight edge would go to C.J. Stroud unless Hooker has his Heisman moment here against Georgia. Georgia's a monumental defense to overcome if you're Hendon Hooker. But if he does it, man, that's that's your Heisman moment. I think the slight edge would be to C.J. Stroud right now, though. But it is a two-horse race really between the two of them unless something big happens here late in the year. Yeah, Hendon Hooker is going to have to have a great, great game against Georgia for it to be his Heisman moment. And then obviously a win and undefeated season. Right. So, but I do think that's kind of the race is hooker Stroud, but like you said, not CJ Stroud probably will stay that way. If uh, Ohio state remains undefeated. I'm trying to look up Tennessee's schedule here. So they're, God, they're scoring like crazy. I don't think of Tennessee as an offensive team. So they've got Georgia and then, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Two of those are on the road. They have to go to SC and to Vanderbilt. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that just be the, just to throw a huge fly in the ointment? Tennessee, you beat Alabama, you beat Georgia, you destroy Kentucky, you beat Florida, and then you go lose to South Carolina just to ruin yeah. everything. Yeah, that would be a huge, huge turd in the punch bowl, as they say. <laughs> Big, big week of college football. The Georgia-Tennessee game is going to be the headline. I believe it's just a nice middle-of-the-afternoon kickoff, so find yourself a nice place to watch Georgia-Tennessee this Saturday. What, I can't interest you in Iowa versus Purdue? No, I like offense. What? I like offense. I guess Purdue has that guy who catches like a thousand. Wait, 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 wait. Doesn't Purdue have a receiver who has like a thousand yards already? Yeah, they have Charlie Jones, who used to be at Iowa. Uh, thanks for finishing that thought for me. Does he have more yards individually than the Iowa offense has collectively? No, not at this point in time. More touchdowns, yes, but not <laughs> not more uh, yards. Hey, you know, since we like to crap on the Iowa offense, um, you, you do know that Iowa scored more points this October than the Iowa State Cyclones. 
Yeah, the uh, the TV people, was it ESPN or FS1, whoever had that game on this week, showed a, a nice factoid about the Iowa and Iowa State teams and how they're both top 10 defenses in both yards and scoring and, like, bottom 20 offenses. Oh. Hooray. We, 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 we both took a shot on Saturday. Thanks, FS1. We are offense-averse in the state of Iowa. <laughs> we are We are the least offensive people that exist out there in the nation and are – College football teams can prove it. It's like Todd Licklider is coaching both of the football teams. What? Defense wins championships, I thought. Yes, tell that to Ohio State. Yeah. Isn't that the old mantra, the old saying? I mean, if that's really the case, then we're good, right? We're in contention. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to play each other (laughs) in the Popeyes Bowl or whatever it is. Iowa, Iowa State, BCS National Championship. I would so... I so badly want those two to play in a bowl game just to see how they both look at the end of the year instead of beginning of the year. But that would be interesting. But anyways, there's a little bit of intrigue there. Iowa playing their former running mate, Charlie Jones. And also Purdue defense is bad, bad. We saw what Iowa did against a bad defense this past week. They actually scored points. So I think there's a chance for some intrigue there. But anyways, we won't do a deep dive on Iowa Purdue. So we're going to finish up this week's show by turning Andrew loose on the NBA. And we're only about, what, two weeks into the season, so I have not paid a minute of attention. But when per my notes, I just wrote down the Nets, question mark. The Nets. Yeah. Question mark is the best way to describe the Nets because uh, there's so much controversy surrounding them right now. Just parted ways with Steve Nash today. Uh, mutual parting of ways, fired, whatever you want to call it, same same deal. But then immediately after, you know, moments after firing Steve Nash, the news breaks that the Nets are hiring Ime Udoka from the Boston Celtics. So as if the Nets didn't already have enough controversy swirling around them, let's add in the guy who got suspended a year from coaching in the NBA as our next head coach. He can't take over until next year. What are the Nets doing? They're they're a complete circus. I'm I'm asking you that question. I'm I'm trying to No, I was you, what what are the Nets doing? How does how does this work if did can I'm can can you don't take another job? Isn't he still technically employed by the Celtics? The Celtics um, gave the Nets permission and said they would willingly let Udoka go to the Nets if the Nets want to hire him. <laughs> so the so, so Celtics the Celtics are done. Celtics are done with Udoka, but they're apparently. they're like letting the Nets take the headache off their hands. Like it's your problem now. Thanks. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. What's going on here is. Um, thanks for taking off our headache and here you go. Now, what I didn't realize is that when Steve Nash became the coach in 2020, Udoka was part of that staff. Mm. And so they're really just hiring a, a former, um, Steve Nash assistant who got, has gone on and had success, obviously making the NBA finals last year. I mean, I'm a Udoka is a good coach. Great. But if we take away the off the court stuff, right. If we just focus on the, on the court, the basketball part of it, he's a good coach in terms of the basketball part of it. 
he also, you know, got that team, that Celtics team to buy in a team that was having some issues. He had a sit down meeting with them in January. And I don't know what was said or what was done in said meeting, but that is what propelled them to, you know, their championship run. So if there's a guy that can fix the nets, it's probably Udoka, right? But it's, he's got his own off the court stuff going on that just adds another layer of drama complexity to the Brooklyn Nets and not sure that's what they need at this current point in time. They just need stability. When, when you're a basketball team and you're like, yeah, Kevin Durant is the, when Kevin Durant is like the quiet chill part of your franchise, how many times has that been the case? Not many. And that's part of the problem here, right? Is that, You've got, you had, three guys had, because Harden's no longer there, three guys who are just full, they bring a lot of baggage, a lot of drama with Durant, Harden, Kyrie. Well, then you trade Harden's baggage for the head case that is Ben Simmons, and this is what you get, and you're surprised when it doesn't work out? Um Okay. I'm not sure why you're so surprised when it doesn't work out. So I, I'm not sure where the Nets go from here or how they fix things. Maybe they've hired the right coach as long as there's no, um, you know, as long as there's no more things with the Ime Udoka situation that we're not aware of. Maybe. Is, is there any situation where they can get rid of Ben Simmons and, Kyrie, is there any franchise franchises? I know it's going to be multiple teams involved. Is there any way they can get rid of those guys for some young talent? Because in spite of everything, Kevin Durant's putting up great numbers. Like he's actually playing decently well. It's just all the chaos around them. I mean, they can get rid of those guys, but probably not for young talent. At least something to help them be contending in the East. I mean, the I, I get we're two weeks in, but the the Wizards and the Hornets are currently in the playoffs, and the Knicks. So you tell me Brooklyn can't jump a few of these teams just by the virtue uh, of could, Kevin Durant being they, there? Give him they could time. definitely jump the Wizards and the Hornets. We can get to the Knicks in a minute, but I think the Knicks might have, have found something and might be a, a somewhat decent team. And then getting back to Steve Nash, I just want to touch on this quick. How much of this is him, them more or less saving him from the situation? Because I you think of Steve Nash had such a great reputation before this. You see in my mind, I've always thought of him as a player's coach, a guy that they could relate to. I don't know what the opportunity would be. Who knows what jobs will be coming open in a year or two, but just feels like a guy who somebody would give another job to maybe a more stable environment. Uh, I just, I have no idea, no idea what coaching, but like a new Orleans Pelicans, wouldn't they come calling for like a Steve Nash? If their coaching situation doesn't work out, I just can't imagine him only getting one run and it being with this chaotic net situation. Yeah. I don't think this will be Steve Nash's only coaching run in the NBA. He'll definitely get another chance somewhere. I don't know where that's going to be, but I can definitely see him getting another chance. I think it's not that they're saving Steve Nash. I think Steve Nash is going to be made the scapegoat this whole situation, which is terrible. They're really saying, oh, Steve Nash can hold this thing together. Well, you didn't really give the guy much of a chance with the with the uh, crazy personalities that you threw in a room together and said, all right, Steve, here's a 
Right. Here's a grenade. Make sure it doesn't go off. <laughs> we already pulled the pin. Just hold it. Yeah. We already pulled the pin on three different grenades. Make sure none of them go off. <laughs> Here you go. Have fun. So, but looking, looking at the Eastern Conference outside of the chaos that is the Nets, Cleveland, I was telling you, watch out for the Cavaliers. Again, we're two weeks in, but I'm going to ride high on the Cavaliers being five and one. Donovan Mitchell playing great for them right now. Boston, you mentioned hanging in there at four and two, and then you kind of got a glut of teams. Raptors and Hawks, not all that exciting. The Knicks, who you have a story to tell us about. Philadelphia, Washington, Charlotte, and then Chicago kind of floating around there. The the Pacers have shown signs of life. That's that's a plus. Miami yeah. has been terrible. And then, as we expect, Detroit and Orlando at the bottom. So I don't really know what the big surprise is here, maybe other than Cleveland and the Knicks. Yeah, I think the big surprise is Cleveland 5-1. and one. But I guess maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. Maybe the surprising thing about it, though, is the fact that they've done the bulk of their work without Darius Garland, who's an all-star. Donovan Mitchell, Mobley, Kevin Love looks rejuvenated. This team looks like a legit playoff team. And, you know, I'm not saying they'll be in the two spot the whole year, but would surprise me if they end up in the top four in the Eastern Conference. Absolutely not with the way that they're playing. I think maybe the surprising thing, it's a little bit like the NFC. We're more surprised about the teams who are currently not in the top eight, right? The Bulls, the Nets, the Heat. I think it's surprising that those teams aren't in the top eight. I'm not saying they won't finish in the top eight, but it is a bit surprising that they're not in the top eight at this current point in time. But uh, I think a little bit of the issue with the Nets, with the Sixers as well, um, is depth, right? The quality depth that they have, it's just not present, right? They have good starting pieces, but they don't have a lot of depth. And that is that is crucial in today's NBA. You need that depth to get you through kind of the slog of an 82-game season. And those teams don't really have it and don't have a really a way to provide it either. Um, I guess maybe a little bit surprising that Milwaukee's still undefeated, even though they don't have Chris Middleton. They've had a couple close calls, and they've pulled through. Giannis is playing at an MVP level probably the current MVP front runner. If I had to take a guess right now would be Giannis. I don't know if it'll stay that way for the season, but his team's six and oh, and he's doing everything in his power to keep them there and make sure that they don't lose basically just willing them to victory after victory every night and putting up insane numbers while he's doing it. So, so at the, at the one thirteenth point of the season, Giannis for MVP. Yeah, if we want to get into early MVP conversation and narrative, I mean, I think it's early on people are setting it up as this Giannis-Luca type deal. I think it's Giannis and Luca are the two the two candidates that have really emerged early on in the season just based off the insane numbers that both of them are putting up. And what is your what is the New York secret sauce? We all need the, to New York, the New York secret sauce is Jalen Brunson. They went and got Jalen Brunson, and I didn't think that Jalen Brunson was a superstar by any means, but having Jalen Brunson, it's not just having Jalen Brunson, it's what 
having him means and unlocks for guys like Julius Randle, like RJ Barrett, because last year the primary playmakers were Barrett and Randall and Derek Rose a little bit, but now you've got Brunson to fill that role and Randall and Barrett can play off the ball, which is where they're best suited. You don't want Randall and Barrett initiating your whole offense. They can, it's not that they're not capable. They can, but you want someone who's like a true point guard who can see the floor, who pushes the ball, who plays with a certain toughness and Jalen Brunson is all of those things, right? And he is kind of the key to unlocking this Knicks team, kind of what they were missing last year. And so I think uh, the Knicks made a really good signing and going and getting Jalen Brunson. I don't think the Knicks are a, a championship teams by any mean, by any means, but I do think that that Brunson signing is what will keep them in the playoffs. Are they... Are they a small team? I'm just looking at the roster here and based on what I know, Jalen Brunson, Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Derek Rose still running around there. They feel like a team that's going to get done with everything but size. Obi Toppin, Julius Randle, and Cam Reddish is injured, but none of those guys really seem big outside of Mitchell Robinson feels like the only real size they have. They play Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein. um, Hartenstein, I should say, right? Um, so those are kind of their rotational pieces at the center. But like you said, they, they can go small. That's kind of the way the NBA goes now, right, is you play that small ball. Haven't seen the Knicks unleash that too much. They've been playing a lot of Robinson and Hartenstein when I've been watching as well. But they, they do have that predominantly left-handed lineup that throws teams off because Brunson's a lefty, Barrett's a lefty, Randall's a lefty, and also Hartenstein, when he comes in, is a lefty. So they they are all four lefties out there, and uh, teams aren't used to that. It's kind of an interesting deal to watch the Knicks play because they're everything is like tilted towards the left side of the court when they're on offense. This is how Very I know, this is how I know you watch the NBA on a different level than I do because I never think about those things. Yeah, well, um, I was talking about this with my uh, one of my friends and Keegan Murray's younger brother, or not younger brother, they're the same age. What am I talking about? They're twins. Um, Keegan, Keegan Murray's brother, Chris, is left-handed, probably going to get drafted somewhere in the first round next year. And we were just jokingly saying, you know, Chris Murray to the Knicks so they can roll out that five-man lefty lineup. Um, nice. don't know if that's ever been done before, but I, I kind of want it just for the, the sheer fact that the Knicks could roll out five guys at any one time and have all of them be predominantly left-handed. Huh. I, I just think that would be funny. Speaking of Mr. Keegan Murray going out West here, his Kings, uh, not surprisingly not in the playoffs cause they're the Kings, but what is happening out West Phoenix is tied for the lead right now, five and one. That's not surprising. But Portland also five and one. Utah six and two. San Antonio five and two. What is happening? New Orleans and Minnesota, Denver, Memphis, those teams all being in there aren't that surprising. OKC is three and three. Then at the other end of the spectrum, Dallas three and three, Golden State three and four, the Clippers three and four. We'll get to the Lakers on their own here in a minute, but 
the East feels a little bit shocking, but the West feels absolutely upside down. Yeah, someone forgot to tell the Jazz and the Spurs that they're supposed to be tanking. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? It's a little bit like the uh, the Falcons in the NFL. Right? You guys are supposed to be tanking. You're not good. Giants, New York Giants, you're not good. What are you doing trying to make the playoffs here? Um, I predict that we'll see those teams make some moves to uh, work their way down standings. The Blazers in the one spot. That's a that's a surprising thing as well, and the progress of Anthony Simons is very surprising. Um, so surprising who's in the picture and who's out of the picture here. I think the West has been an absolute crapshoot. I mean, you mentioned the Kings, two and four, not in, but actually, their record would reveal their record doesn't reflect what a difficult out that they've been. They've had a couple of close calls against the Warriors, against the Clippers, against the uh, the Blazers who were on top. They've had a couple of close calls and haven't been able to come out on top. Now they've beat the Heat and the Hornets back to back here. So they're on a little bit of a streak. They'll get Miami next again. So I'm not out on the Kings, even though they've had a little bit of a rough start here. I think there's more hope for the Kings than say the Lakers Ooh. or even the even the Clippers to an extent because Kawhi Leonard keeps missing games. What? And, yep, exactly. Exactly. Um I'm not sure if that was a sarcastic what on your part. <laughs> may may have been. Not. May have been, but I'm not sure that we're going to get a healthy Kawhi Leonard at any point this season or we don't really know. There's just a lot of unknowns still around Kawhi Leonard and his injury status. And if that's the case, well, then that really limits the the ceiling. The ceiling comes crashing down for the Clippers if they don't have a healthy Kawhi Leonard. They're going to be in that play-in spot maybe if they don't have a healthy Kawhi Leonard. So I I would venture – that there's a little bit more hope for Sacramento than some of these other teams. And I do think eventually, like we talked about in the NFL, we're going to see teams like Utah and San Antonio come back crashing down. It's a long season. They're going to eventually start stringing losses together and that's going to be okay. The Lakers kind of like what we talked about with the Sixers and the Nets there's not a lot of quality depth there. You like, you maybe like the starting lineup and your top two guys, but you really don't have quality depth and also the lack of shooting with the Lakers. In today's NBA, you can't you can't be a team that's poor from the three point line, and also that's really all that a team that has LeBron on it needs, right? You just need to surround LeBron with a bunch of guys who can hit threes. He'll find them. He'll get people open. You just need someone who can hit, knock down an open shot. And the Lakers have a lack of guys that can knock down open shots, yeah. unfortunately. And that's that's why I don't hold out a lot of hope for the Lakers this season because I'm not sure where they're going to acquire that unless they pull off the trade that was talked about before the season, the Westbrook 
for Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, right? Westbrook and a couple of unprotected firsts in 2027 and 2029 for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. Buddy Heald could probably knock down an open three. Miles Turner can knock down an open three and also bring something defensively that you need. You need that rim protector. Miles Turner can protect the rim. Buddy Heald can make baskets, right? LeBron can find Buddy and he can hit an open shot. So, um, but even then, I don't think the ceiling is championship. Even if you make that move, I don't think getting Buddy Heald and Miles Turner signals championship. So long diatribe there. I also think that the Pelicans at four and two, they, they've been playing well and have impressed me because they've won a couple of games without Zion and without Brandon Ingram against quality opponents. They went toe-to-toe with the the Mavericks, the Mavericks at full strength, without Ingram, without Zion, and won the game. So they've had – they have – we talked about the lack of depth with the Nets, the Lakers, the Sixers. The Pelicans have a lot of depth, and and it's shown early on in the season with some of the wins that they have. So if they have Zion and Ingram healthy – I don't want to go out on too much of a limb here, but I do think that this is a team that can make serious noise in the not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs if they have everybody healthy and firing on all cylinders. They've got a good mix of guys and, and quality depth there in New Orleans too, and good coaching. So I think they're a little bit of a surprise, even though they're only in that fifth spot. I don't think that's I don't think that's a fluke that they're that high. I think they're going to be contending for one of those top four seeds this whole season. Was Jordan Clarkson on the Lakers before? She um, way back in the day, Jordan Clarkson's been on a lot of teams in the past <laughs> in the past few years. He's still with Utah at this current point in time. He was on the Lakers. Um, he was on some of those. 2010s Lakers teams that weren't good when they were rolling uh, Jordan Clarkson and Kyle Kuzma and D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young out there with Kobe Bryant. Um, Clarkson was on some of those squads. And then he was on, he was on the 2018 Cavs, I believe with uh, LeBron James, LeBron James took, you know, Jeff Green, Kyle Korver, and uh, the ghost of Kevin Love to the <laughs> to the NBA Finals. Remember when everybody thought in, in 2018. Remember when everybody thought Kevin Love was old back then, and it's been four or five years. Yeah, well, I uh, <laughs> I was watching uh, the Cavs play the Knicks, and I was like, you know, Kevin Love. I haven't heard too much about him this season. I gotta watch this this Cavs Knicks game on a Sunday at five o'clock. So I'm doing that instead of watching the afternoon NFL slate and Donovan Mitchell goes off and everybody expects that he goes eight for 13 from three, but Kevin love matches it and goes eight for 13 from three as well. And I was just flabbergasted at what I was seeing. You know, it was like we were getting Minnesota Kevin love for a little bit in a, in a short spurt. And it, not to go flip back and forth too much, but if we get that from Kevin Love, that 
the ceiling is the roof, as someone once said for the <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers. So um, I don't know. Very, very interesting things going on. Well, I, I, I know this is fantasy booking and there's a thousand things to consider for these kind of deals. But if you're the Lakers and you need to add depth, especially shooters, and Utah loves to rack up draft picks, I don't know how Russ fits with that team for however long they'd need him. But what about giving up Russ and a draft pick or two to Danny Ainge in exchange for, say, a Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley, or maybe throw in Laurie Markin in there? There's if, if you're the Jazz and you're looking at trading away pieces and you're the Lakers and you need pieces... Would would some package of like a, a Clarkson Conley Markinen work for that? I'm also not opposed to trading Anthony Davis. It, I, LeBron's, I think, really the only untradeable piece. I think I'd like to keep Patrick Beverly and Austin Reeves there for some role players. But I don't know. Looking around it, I, I don't know what the Spurs have to offer. We're talking about kind of the Spurs and Jazz as teams who are going to trade their way down. But, yeah, in- interesting, interesting thought. I'm I'm more of the mindset the Lakers need to keep those because we mentioned the 2027 and 2029 first. The reason why we're talking about picks that are that far out was because they've traded away everything else, every other first to acquire Anthony Davis, to acquire Russell Westbrook. I think if you they they obviously want to move Russell Westbrook but I don't think you can move that many years worth of first round picks because who knows what the Lakers are going to look like in 2027 and 2029. LeBron's not going to be around. I mean, surely not. Right. It maybe, maybe LeBron's still a Laker five years from now. I highly doubt it. I don't think you can mortgage the future just to supposedly go all in on this year. So while I think Clarkson, Conley, Markinen, right, getting that would be good for the Lakers, it still doesn't make them a championship team, and that's really why you make a move like that. That's why you give up those first-round picks like that. You're mortgaging the whole future to go in on a championship this year, and I don't think that even like if you got those three guys, and I'm not even saying that the Jazz would do it because I'm not even sure that they would, but um, that doesn't make you a championship roster in my eyes. So you're giving up the future for something that's less than a championship. I think you've got to kind of just write it out. I really think that this season, this season for the Lakers is really – in a way, all about LeBron breaking Kareem's record. And that's going to be the highlight of the Lakers season is LeBron, if healthy, is going to break Kareem's scoring record that stood for a long time. Nice. But that's, I think that's going to be it. I've also, you know, looked into salary cap stuff as well. The Lakers will have plenty of, of room after this season, plenty of salary cap room to, maybe get a couple of different guys. But knowing the Lakers, they'll probably try and use any and all cap room that they have to get one star. I think the big three, we're seeing a little bit that the big three model maybe isn't quite the model anymore. You need 
you need a star, a superstar that can propel you to the championship, right? You need a Giannis on your team. You need a Steph Curry on your team. Guys like that that can propel you to the championship, right? But you don't need a big three. You need pieces that fit around that superstar, pieces that fit well. The Lakers don't have that currently. So I would personally like to see them. I think they're going to have around 50 million in cap space. I'd like to see them spread that out over a couple of quality starters, quality bench players, right? Get maybe three or four guys with that money, maybe two or three guys. I know NBA contracts are pretty big, so that's probably going to get you maybe two or three guys, right? And I'm not sure who those guys are, but I think the Lakers have the potential to kind of retool the roster. It's like what the Warriors have done. We've talked about it before. They've got a, the mix of, you know, young and old. They they nailed a Jordan Poole pick, right? Hit lightning in a bottle with the second round pick there with Jordan Poole. But they made the Wiggins trade, and that really unlocked something for them. They got Wiseman too. You know, they've they've been able to put this good mix of young and old around Curry, three and D defenders around Curry covers up some of the weak points of Curry. Curry's not, he's gotten better at it, but he's not an elite defender by any means. So the team around him covers up his weaknesses. The Lakers are doing the opposite of that. The, they have a team around LeBron that only magnifies the weaknesses of a team of LeBron, right? He's not a, a great outside shooter. At this point in his career, he's not an elite defender anymore. He's a good defender, but not an elite one anymore. So I'll I'll get off my rant, get off my soapbox here, but I think uh, there's a lot to be said for roster construction and how it goes in the NBA. I don't appreciate you taking shots at LeBron or Steph. I I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, every, every player has weaknesses, right? Every player has weaknesses. I don't think I was taking shots at either guy, but more of just an honest evaluation of their games and as they stand currently. Great players, generational talents, right? Both superstars, not without flaws or without faults. Anything else on the NBA before we do our last little minute here for the show? Oh, yeah. Keegan Murray, Rick of the Year. Lock it up. That's awfully early. Probably get good Vegas odds on him, though. Uh, I may or may not have a uh, Giannis MVP, Keegan Murray, Rick of the Year, Tyrese Halliburton, most improved parlay. I may or may not have it. (laughs) And I may or may not be telling people this is not financial advice and, you know, be responsible and don't bet your house on this or anything like that, but. There are some long odds on parlaying those three things together that putting just a little bit of money, sprinkling just a little bit of money on something that, you know, may not happen, but maybe there's a chance. Because I do think Terry's Halliburton's going to be in that most improved conversation. If we want to talk, I know it's too early to talk awards, but if we want to talk awards, I mean, Giannis is right there in the MVP. Keegan Murray's right there in the rookie of the year. And I think most improved, I'm really, from what I've seen in the first two weeks, it's Halliburton and Anthony Simons of the Blazers. 
I think, as my early candidates for most improved. So, Reminder, we have played seven games. Correct. But based off what I've seen in those seven games, if these kinds of stats are on par for the rest of the season, which seems entirely possible, I do think seven games is a large enough sample size to get a pretty good feel for what guys are going to be for the season. There's a, there's a chance, you know, that things could drop off, you know, whatever injuries can happen. I understand all that, but I, I don't, I don't think it's too small of a sample size to draw some sort of conclusions just based off what I've seen. And also another thing here is that I believe if we're talking Simons is that Lillard has, battled through some injuries and probably will. And it's more critical to Portland to have Lillard ready to go for the playoffs. I'm not saying he's going to miss extended time, but in the time that Lillard missed last year, Simons went off and it's happening again. He's even been going off with Lillard in the game. So I think, you know, it's Simons and Halliburton kind of the guys for that. So again, good reminder that it's early, but I think we can draw some conclusions at least at this point. Well, Mr. Uh, Wager man, would you like to pick a world series winner? I know we're in the middle of game three and we're all enjoying as we're recording this, watching the Phillies pummel the Astros. Bryce Harper went yard on a two run shot. And that's the most I paid attention to while I'm kind of checking in and out of the game. What's your series pick? I got to go Phillies. Man, I got to go Phillies, and I think it's mainly because that team has the Chicago Cub connections with uh, Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos. So and I got to root for the former Cubs and go for uh, go for that, go for them. And as you like, literally as the words came out of your mouth, Kyle Schwarber hit a two-run blast. Hey, I may or may not have won some money on that. He he looks like a linebacker. He looks jacked out of his mind. Like him and Aaron Judge don't look like they belong on baseball diamonds. They look like they should be in the NFL. Happy for the Phillies if they're able to pull this off. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't tonight the first of three games in Philadelphia? I don't know for sure. They're clearly in Philadelphia. I'm not sure what the schedule is. I know they just got rained out from Halloween, but uh yeah, go go Phillies. I'm with you. I'm picking them. I I think it'll go seven because the Astros are just too good. But I, nobody nobody wants to pick the Astros, so I'm with you on the Phillies. I think it goes seven. But is this is this just the NFL toying with people? Like this is the biggest week of Major League Baseball season, and even the NFL has to play with it because they know how much people are going to talk about the trade deadline. It's like no matter anytime anybody else has something big going on. Because if it wasn't for NFL free agents, I keep calling it free agency. If it wasn't for the trade deadline, the World Series would be headline news. But NFL just can't let anybody else have nice things. Yeah, and the NBA. I mean, I feel like people are watching the NBA over the World Series. That's another conversation for another time. But I really feel like baseball is not America's pastime anymore. Uh, And people have tuned out on the MLB. I also am going for the Phillies because, like, who who likes the Astros, right, after the tweeting scandal? Nobody likes the Astros, but also I don't know if you saw this going around or if we've talked about this, but I've talked about this with a few other people and a major financial crisis ensues after the Phillies win the world series. So 
maybe we should cheer for the Astros. Didn't we I, have a didn't we have a major crisis leading up to this one? Uh, I mean, so I don't want to go down a. I don't want to go down a politics or rabbit hole or anything, but I think we're on the precipice. We're at the start of a financial crisis, not the end. Oh, good. Thank you for that. That positive. Yeah, I'm sorry to bum everybody out and and end this podcast on a complete bummer, but um, I believe the Phillies won in 1929, just before the Great Depression. The Phillies won in 1980, uh, 1980, which kicked off like the Carter administration and a ton of inflation for the time in the 80s. And then 2008, the housing crisis in 2008 that we all know about now. And here are the Phillies in the World Series and looking like they're going to go up two to one. Do we really want the Phillies to win? Maybe it's best for the nation if the Astros pull it out somehow. I really appreciate you doubling down on the sad news. I'm sorry. Phillies had to do it. Back-to-back home runs. Now Reese Hoskins goes yard. Well, everybody's strapping. Um, <laughs> get ready for your financial crisis, and hopefully, we aren't, uh, you know, in Great Depression number two after this. So, at least we know who to blame it on, and it's not yeah, the, the Phillies. Is it me? Uh, I'm, I'm not saying anything. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's fair. That's fair, but. All right. I hate ending this on a sad note. Do we have any happy news to share with our audience before before we go? No, because the only other thing I was going to bring up is Jake Paul beating Anderson Silva, and that made me even more sad. We've made it 80 episodes. Um, so if anybody wants to bake bake us a cake for making it 80 episodes, I think think a cake would be in order. Or do we have to wait till 100 before we get cake? I don't know what like the 80th anniversary is like. Do people are people married till their 80th anniversary? Because isn't like 75 platinum? Like where do you go after platinum? I don't know, but we've made it. You know, we've made it more episodes than. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if people. Ce- I'd have to look that up if people celebrate their 80th anniversaries. But um, we've made it 80 episodes, man. 80 episodes. Looking for 20 more. Um, Probably have to do something special once we hit 100. I don't know. I feel like we should plan this out because 100 feels like a monumental podcast episode to make it to. Hang on. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I time this. 89, that's 90, 91, 92, 93, 94. Uh, I was trying to time it out where like 95 would be Valentine's Day and we could tie that in. But if we assume that I do an episode every week, be it'd be like a St. Paddy's Day. I could I could space it out that we tie in episode one hundred with St. Paddy's Day and just get blitzed out of our minds. March Madness, perfect. Ooh, there we go. St. Paddy's Day, March Madness podcast episode one hundred extravaganza. Gonna be great. That takes so, so much more scheduling and planning than I usually put into this, but I'll see if I can map it all out. And someone, someone who's listening to this or has listened in the past. It's going to make us a cake. I can feel it. <laughs> Just ne- never mind that we are 2000 miles apart from each other. Somebody make us somebody make two cakes, two cakes, send it to us in the mail. Wait, no, don't do that. 
<laughs> well, all right. Ni- a nice That's long good. episode, an uncharacteristically long one. We had a lot to get to. Happy to pack it all in. And we'll be back next week to check in and hopefully celebrating the Phillies as World Series champions. There's our positive note. Hopefully, yes. Well, thank you all for joining us. We will see you on episode 81 of the Sports Gospel. Thank you for joining us.